Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning, and we are glad that you are here with us. Today's lesson is uh, a little bit different. As you can tell, I didn't bring very much with me up here. I just brought my Bible. That's all I'm going to use today. I haven't done that in a long time. But as I got to putting together my outline, I realized that most everything that I needed was Scripture-oriented anyway. So that's all I have. Uh, but today's lesson is uh, it's based on a, something I've been thinking about recently. Grace. Grace is a great blessing. It's a great spiritual blessing that is given to us from God. And sometimes I think we, I know I do, I think we take for granted the grace that, that God has given us. And sometimes we take for granted how great the grace is that God has given us. How would we define grace? If I were to ask you, how would you define grace, how would you define it? One of the, the best illustrations that I have, have heard and something that I've remembered is an explanation of justice, mercy, and grace. And the difference between the three. Justice. If we look at justice. Justice is what we get. It's what we deserve. When we get what we deserve. If you commit a crime. And you stand before a judge. And you plead guilty. You may get somewhat of a reduced sentence, but you're going to get a sentence, some kind of punishment that is based on what you deserve, based on the fact that you have committed the crime. If you are found guilty of a crime, you are going to be given justice. It's when you get what you deserve. But, but let's go back to that illustration for a moment. You stand before the judge and, and maybe you do plead guilty and maybe you do get a reduced sentence. That's when you get something or when you're not getting what you deserve. You, you deserve a greater punishment than, than what you are getting. That's mercy. The judge is is granting you mercy based on the fact that you've pled guilty of a crime. So justice is when you get what you do deserve. Mercy is what you, when you do not get what you deserve. But then there's grace. Grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. And the only way that I can really picture grace is in the eyes of God because God is the one that really gives grace. That doesn't mean that, that grace can't come in other forms and, and can't be given by human beings, but the greatest grace that can ever be known to man is the grace that is given by God. We are all guilty of sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. And it doesn't matter how great or how small the crimes that you've committed against God are. Sin is sin. And we have sinned against God. And no matter 
what we do, we can never come close to living the kind of life that Jesus lived on this earth. He lived a perfect life. We can't say that. And because we have sinned against God, we are guilty of punishment for that sin. Ultimately, we're, we are, are deserving of an eternal punishment because of our sin. But when we look at Scripture and we look at, at the Word of God and, and we find what we need to do to be saved and, and we do those things, God gives us something that we do not deserve. And that is grace. You see, it's through God's grace that we find salvation from our sins. It's through God's grace that we are offered a hope of eternity with Him in heaven one day. It is because of God's grace that we are offered cleansing, sanctification, justification. All of that comes through God's grace. And what great, great grace God has offered to us. The question that I really want to answer today is, how deep is God's grace? How great is God's grace? Is it anything that we can define? Is it anything that we can put in parameters and, and really realize how great God's grace is? I want us to look at today at some individuals who received great, great grace. And by looking at these individuals, I want us to be encouraged. I want us to, to realize that God's grace towards us is just as great as His grace toward them, toward those that we read of in Scripture. God's grace is just as great today as it was even then. We're going to begin today in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to begin reading at verse 31. And we're going to read through verse 35. Here we begin reading about Peter. We spent a, a great deal, some of you may remember, but we spent a great deal of time discussing Peter and going through his life. And, and even when I finished uh, my lessons on Peter, Kurt picked up and finished the whole rest of his life with some of the writings and things that we read of in Scripture from him. But, but as we look at Peter, we see that Peter, he was impetuous, he... He uh, often spoke before he thought. Has your mouth ever run away from your mind? Peter was guilty of that on many occasions. And Peter, we're going to find, Peter sinned. He, he committed a great sin, as a matter of fact. We're going to look at that, but we also see that Peter was given great, great grace. In Matthew 26, beginning with verse 31, we read of, 
of Jesus here, he's foretelling something that is to come. He is foretelling that Peter, Peter is going to sin against him. Peter's not going to believe it, but it is going to happen. Matthew 26 and verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night <clears throat> before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter said to him in verse 35, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Peter thought that there was no way that he was going to deny Jesus. Even though Jesus said, you're going to do it. Peter thought that there was no way that he could ever deny his Lord in that way. No way that he would ever forsake him. As a matter of fact, he was willing to die for Jesus. And he, he kind of proved it. Whenever they came to arrest Jesus, wasn't it Peter that drew a sword? He was ready to fight. In that moment. But when the true test came, we see that Peter denied Jesus. And in a sense, Peter betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed him, yes, by, by, by selling him for money. Trying to make a profit by, by turning Jesus in. But Peter betrayed Jesus as well by denying Him. By denying uh, knowledge of Him and, and, and friendship with Him and that He was one of Jesus' followers. Peter denied those things. We pick up reading in verse 69 of Matthew 26. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were, with, who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. All of Jesus' disciples left him. Go back and, and look at 
verse 56, and the, the end of verse 56, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Not one was left standing with Jesus. Can you imagine? And Jesus had foretold that that was going to happen. And yet Peter, we read that Peter denied him. On three occasions here in the immediate vicinity of this time, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Going so far in verse 74 to curse and to swear, to, to, to portray speech that is not befitting of any of Jesus' followers. Just so that he could prove that he was not one of Jesus' followers. And that rooster crowed. And I believe it's in one of the other accounts that, that we read that, that Jesus looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said. And I imagine that the events of that moment haunted Peter maybe for the rest of his life. He had denied Christ. Judas may have committed the worst sin in, in that he never repented for what he did. He never tried to make it right with Christ. It, that he had betrayed him and, and he felt remorse, but, but he went out and hanged himself instead of trying to make it right. He could have, but he didn't. But Peter, Peter had denied Jesus. And, and yet in Peter we find God's grace. Turn with me to John 21. John 21, and we see that, that Peter found redemption for what he had done. And we see that he was restored as a follower of Christ. In John 21, beginning with verse 15, and reading through verse 19. John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than thee? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him again, or he said to him, Feed my lamb. In verse 16, he said to him again a second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? I want you to notice the wording that is, is given here. Notice that Jesus is not referring to him as Peter. In Matthew 16, Peter gives a, a great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I believe these things to be so. Peter believed 
that Jesus was the Son of God. It was a great confession. It was the greatest confession that could be made. It's the same confession that we make even today. Whenever we obey the gospel, we make that confession that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him following that, Simon, son of Jonah, I tell you that you are Peter. And on the, the rock, uh, on the rock of the confession that he made, Jesus' church was going to be built upon that rock. But he called him there Peter. And, and now he is not referring to him as Peter, but he says, Simon, son of Jonah. And I wonder, I wonder if those words cut into Peter's heart. Just the fact that he was referring to him as Simon and not Peter. I wonder if that meant anything to him. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We don't really know. But it is interesting to note that that's how Jesus is referring to him here. And he's asked him once, do you love me? And don't you think that would be good enough? Good enough to know that Peter loves Jesus. And he said, feed my lambs. And so he's asking a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He begins by referring to them as lambs. Those of the church, those that were growing, feed them. And as they mature, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, care for my sheep, whatever is needed in regard to caring for those sheep, you do it. That's what he was telling Peter to do. But he asked him, not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? And do you think that there is not any significance in the fact that Jesus asked him that question three times? In the Greek, uh, there's a, a little difference in, in some of the, the way that, that love is portrayed. But, but basically, we have the, the same thing, and it's translated the same way in, in the English. Do you love me? Peter was asked three times the same question. I believe because he had denied Jesus three times. So Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And what is Peter's reply? You know, you know that I love you. But in what Jesus is saying to him, he is restored. He finds forgiveness. And he finds grace in the one that he had denied three times.
We'll continue reading a little bit further in verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I found an interesting note. This is from Kaufman's commentary on John 21. But it speaks of, uh, of not only the death of Peter, but also of Paul. Concerning Peter's death, tradition places it at Rome in the reign of Nero with the detail that he was crucified head downward after his protest that he was unworthy to be crucified in an upright position like Jesus. As Lactantius wrote of Nero, and this is from uh, the manner in which the persecutors died, he it was who first persecuted the servants of God. He crucified Peter and slew Paul. Saint Peter, as a Jew, could thus be dealt with. Saint Paul, as a Roman citizen, was beheaded. Nor did he, Nero, escape with impunity. For God looked on the affliction of his people and therefore the tyrant bereaved of his authority and precipitated from the height of empire suddenly disappeared and even the burial place of that noxious wild beast was nowhere to be seen. Peter was told in some way the manner in which he would die. And the way that he would die would glorify God. We read of the rest of Peter's life. And we find that, that he did find redemption. He was restored as a disciple of Christ. And we know that Peter was the one that, that preached the, the gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. Telling the Jews what they needed to do to be saved. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That was Peter. The one who had denied Jesus three times. That restoration is grace. Peter was given something that he did not deserve. He had committed a great crime against Jesus. Crime of treason, of betrayal. Yet he was given grace and restoration and forgiveness. But he's not the only one that we read of that, that received great, great grace. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Let's begin reading at verse 57. Here we read of Stephen. Stephen, a, a follower of Christ, a, a preacher, 
He becomes a martyr. Because of his faith and because of the offense of those around him, they killed him. They killed him. And in verse 57, we begin reading, Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We continue reading in chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. We read of of this young man named Saul. Saul was present at Stephen's death. As they stoned him, he was there and he was consenting to his death. We read in chapter 8 that that this great persecution rose against the church which was at Jerusalem and he was a part of it. In chapter 9 and verse 1 we read, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I found verse 1 of chapter 9 interesting. Breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And some have have likened it even to a a great passion that he had in regard to, to persecuting those who were Christians, those who were of the way. So much so that he was breathing it in and breathing it out. Uh, We're not necessarily told that that his hand was one of those that that actually slew anyone. Although it's very possible that 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 may have been the case. But either way, it was just as great that 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 was his mission. Was to persecute the church and and to, to, to even make threats of death against the disciples of Jesus Christ. we continue reading in chapter 9 and verse 3. As he journeyed he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. 
Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. He was left in darkness without the ability to, to move anywhere on his own because he couldn't see. And he was left pondering these events. Pondering his life and what he had stood for. And I believe even pondering that this Christ the one whom he had persecuted his followers, even, even him. Pondering his existence and the truth of it. Three days, three days. In verse 10, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is prayed. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, verse 20, he preached the Christ in the synagogues. That he is the Son of God. This man who had persecuted the church and anyone who claimed to follow Christ, he immediately began preaching him. Then all who heard, in verse 21, were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul obeyed the gospel. 
He became a Christian. The very people that he had persecuted in the church, he became one of them. Now keeping in mind what is said in verse 1 of chapter 9. That he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Did he deserve to be saved? Saul persecuted the very church that Jesus had established. Did he deserve to be saved and to be a part of that church? No. I don't believe that he, he did deserve it. But what we find in chapter 9 is that Paul was granted grace. Great, great grace. He obeyed the gospel and just like any of us can, he became a Christian. And he spent the rest of his life trying to make up for the things that he had done. Believing himself to be the chiefest of sinners. When Paul needed grace, he found it in Jesus Christ. And the blood that he had shed for his sins. Three more verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning with verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Corinthians, they had been in great sin. And these sins are listed here. Look at the, the, the things that are listed. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Some of the worst sins that are known to man are listed right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And it says that the Corinthians had been guilty of these things. And such were some of you. But that's just it. You see, that's what they had been. That's what did define them in the past. But it didn't define them in the present. They had put those things behind them. Some of the worst sins that man could commit and they had put them behind them and they had moved forward. And verse 11 says, And such were, past tense, such were some of you. They had become washed, they had become sanctified, 
and they had become justified in the name of the Lord. But how? How could they experience this washing, this cleansing, this justification and sanctification? Because of God's grace. Because of God's great, great grace. Did they deserve it? Having committed some of the worst sins? No, they didn't deserve it. But God gave them something that they did not deserve. And He cleansed them of their sins. As sinners, what do we deserve? We deserve punishment. We are guilty. There's no doubt that, that we are guilty. And we find evidence of that in Scripture. We are guilty of sin. If we were to face judgment, and we were to stand before God today, we are deserving of death. We are deserving of death on a cross. We are deserving of the death that Jesus experienced on our behalf. Very much so deserving. That would be justice. But in that we do not have to face that punishment because Jesus faced it for us, we are offered mercy. Mercy in that we are not sent to the cross that we deserve. And in that we are offered eternal life in heaven, we are given something that we do not deserve. Even salvation is something that we do not deserve. We are offered great, great grace. As we look at our lesson, we look at, at Peter. Peter had denied Jesus. He had followed Him for, for a length of time and, and he denied Him. And he found restoration in Christ. And he found forgiveness for his sins. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've obeyed the gospel. But maybe you've sinned against God in a, a great fashion. Something that, that may even go beyond what you and God can handle together on your own. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need to ask for prayer. Or maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from others. Maybe you need restoration. And in that need, God is offering you grace. As we look at Paul, we see that, that he went from persecuting the church, something so great against Jesus Christ, and yet he was able to become a Christian. Maybe you're in great sin. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you've never become a Christian. And you stand in the same need that Saul did. 
Maybe you realize what you've done. Maybe you realize your need to come to Christ. To obey Him by faith. Repenting. Confessing that faith in Christ and being baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe you stand in that same need. And just like Saul, you are offered grace. Maybe your, your sins are, are, are like the sins that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And maybe they are great against God. But God is still, just like He did with the Corinthians, He is still offering you great, great grace. See, God loves you. He cares for you. And He is unwilling that any should perish. He is giving you an opportunity now to respond to His invitation. The question is, will you be obedient? Or will you come back? Will you be a faithful child of God? God is offering you great, great, great. And I pray that if you're in need of His grace, that you would not put off what you need to do. You have the opportunity to leave this place as a faithful child of God. If we can assist you in any way, we offer you that opportunity as together we stand as we sing. Tomorrow.